1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together and uh, a lot happening. And uh, later on in the program, I'm going to talk to you about books. And I want to let you know, warn you ahead of time, it is time for you to send me your best books, the books that you want me to read in the next month or so. Because over the holidays, Christmas is my favorite holiday. I think most people uh, would agree, mostly because of the family stuff. Uh, if you talk about my faith, I'd say Easter is my favorite holiday. But in terms of in terms of the, uh, uh, the celebration of family and my kids and everything, everything. Christmas is my favorite. I mean, it is so awesome. So, But New Year's and all the time, it's downtime. And one of the things during downtime, as we uh, the schedules are lighter, I'll still be doing the radio show and, uh, and turn it into the podcast, but I will also have a chance to try to sneak off and read. So send me the books. Send me a books you want me to read. I, I don't mind you sending me uh, ideas of books that you want me to read that are your favorites, classics, or something, but also send me new books. If you've got a book, or your friend published a book, or somebody's self-publishing a book, send me a copy. Uh, says sometimes people can send a PDF, and I'm going to read, read, read. All, all breaks. So, okay, um, today, today's wink, uh, today's what you need to know. It's a, it's a good one. It's a good one, and it is, um, it is. I have to tell you, um, I, I saw this story on the AP. Um, on the Associated Press, which is a pretty good website to see what's up. They they claim they're even handed, but they're not. But um, but still, it is. Um, I go there quite a bit and check things out. And so the the, the coverage uh, is by a a, a um, AP reporter about China, and it says China. The headline is China won't report asymptomatic COVID cases in a further shift. And it goes on to describe how China is finally emerging from their draconian um, uh, policies on the covid virus and all around it. And they're having trouble. And there's reports out of Beijing that people are lined up at clinics. You know, what uh, what um, uh, China did was lock everything down. And most people say um, and I think they tried vaccines. Most people say they haven't been sick uh, as a nation and had to face getting better whether you think it's natural immunity. I've heard Rand Paul speak about this up close. Uh, You know, you get this thing and some people are going to be really, really sick. Some people are going to get better. And frankly, some vaccines, if they work at all, don't work for some people, work for other people. Some people still get it, whatever. I don't know. At this point, I don't trust any of it. But China locked down, locked down for years. And because they have a command control economy where they can make people work and make people go to school and make people do whatever they want, whatever the government wants, the regime wants. They think it's working. I think it's not. And here's where I want to tell you something. I think China's in big trouble. Now, we have to go further and make sure to make the trouble systemic, meaning the problem with China is the regime, the system. It's not the people. But the regime is a major problem. It's a communist regime, and it's a major problem. It's not a minor problem. But here's the factors that have shifted dramatically in the last five years. One. We had a president, Trump, who said we have to put tariffs on China because they're stealing our intellectual property. They're not trading fair. They're lying about it. And, we, and he did that. Everyone said, oh, my, a lot of people said, oh, my gosh, you're going to crash the economy. didn't. Tariffs worked. We had a president who brought up, hey, wait a second, you guys aren't contributing. You you want us to sign on to climate deals. We're going to contribute trillions, you say, and you're not contributing all China? And China, with a straight face, says, we're still leaning on the fact that we're a developing nation. We have uh, 1.4 billion people, and uh, we think we're a developing nation like Central African nations. We're developing. Therefore, we shouldn't be held to the same standard as developed nations like China, uh, excuse me, like the U.S. and Germany and others. And because Trump shattered that, we at least the country said, wait a second, why are we doing that? It looks like a payoff. And we're the ones paying. So that was the one shift because of covid. We have real doubts about the World Health Organization, the World Trade Organization, the dominance. If you look at the EU, which I told you to do yesterday and the corruption from Qatar, a nation that looks like they came in and bribed their way through the EU in Brussels and Strasbourg. You can bet your bottom dollar that the Chinese regime is doing the same thing. They love throwing money around or say it differently. I don't know that. But do you really think that the Chinese regime, with hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars at stake, trillions of dollars in their economy, is not going to use that? the, the One of the characteristics of the Chinese regime is that they don't care about Western ethics and uh, and reliability of contracts and deals. It's power they care about. They're good liberals. They're like the liberals. That's what communists are. Communists are just like the liberals. It's not about ethics and rules, because that would mean you have a divine rulemaker. No, it's just about power. So these are the things. Now, here's another one. I got a friend, a great friend of mine, who works for a company. He's a top guy at a company that makes chips or parts of chips, computer chips. And he said over the last 25 years, he spent you know 40 trips to China to set up plants. And in the last four and a half years or three and a half years, he's been setting up plants in America and working on the Chips Act and other things. And he said, we just can't. We can't rely on China. We Americans have realized businesses that they can't rely On the Chinese regime, if your supply chain relies on a Chinese regime, you're in trouble. And so the important thing that I want to tell you and what you need to know today is the Chinese regime is on the run. And here's a couple of other ways that's happening. If it's true, which we're seeing that they can't manage COVID, they lied about it. Here's another couple of details. The, The Republicans in the House, and they're going to have bolstering from the minority in the Senate, which is Rand Paul. They're in the minority of the Republicans. But the Republicans in the House, they're going to get to the bottom of Wuhan. You can see it coming now. There's enough energy in this country behind finding out what happened. And Elon Musk over at Twitter, he's talking about that Beijing, the gain of function, the phraseology. He's a science guy. And he's saying that's what they were doing here. So we're going to get to the bottom. I think you're going to see people get to the bottom. And that's going to put China on the run. Here's another one. TikTok. States are banning TikTok, at least for their government professionals. And the U.S. Congress is taking it up. And, you know, the, TikTok is run by the communist regime to malform our minds. Neuroscience it's big tech. We're allowing the communist regime to run big tech into our community, into our kids. You know, they admit their version of TikTok in China doesn't let kids see junk. It lets them see, you know, uh, Khan Academy type stuff. And we're letting our kids see junk and people are not going to take it anymore. So this that's happening. And then here's a big one. Fentanyl. The fentanyl guy, everybody's realized, why are we letting 100,000 American men, mostly, die of fentanyl? Why would we we address that as we need Narcan, which you should get. I have it in my house. I have it in my car. I have it at my office. If somebody's overdosing and you hear it in the neighborhood, you go give them Narcan. It's a nasal uh, spray, and it can save their life, reverses the thing. It's amazing. But why should we have to chase around with Narcan when we could say to China, stop bringing it to our country? And if we can't get a president who will uh, uh, close the border to it, which Biden clearly can't. Well, then let's take on the communist regime. My point here is the communist regime is in trouble, and whether they know it or not yet, we'll see. Now they're never in as much trouble as normal Americans think because we see it and we say, "Boy, they'd be in trouble. That's a big problem." They got all, but the problem is there. They have the they, they have the they have the military and they have the um, uh, the regime and a mindset, and they'll crack down. They'll just crack down. And so whether, you know, you can you can picture the image in your head of the of the lone man standing in front of the tank Remember, in China. And I think that guy disappeared. Right. I don't think we ever. I think It's not like he's uh, thanked for his service. He's gone. So this is a so this is a, uh, a communist regime. It's not it's not messing around here. And so there is. But my point is, and I say this to people all the time in lots of things, whether it's business, whether it's uh, uh, public policy, even politics, very rarely are there home runs. You just keep hitting singles you know, for a baseball a- analogy. You know, there's very, very rarely do you come up with the, the one thing that changes everything. Sometimes more likely you do a hundred things that change things in the direction. And over time, you, you start to move in that direction and suddenly you say, wow, that was, uh, you know, I, I look like that little, that little uh, uh, bucket had, you know, just two drops of water. By the time you've done hundreds and hundreds of drops, you got a full bucket. So that's what's happening in China. Their bucket is full (laughs) and maybe it's running runneth over. And we should continue to do two things. Uh, Put pressure on them in the direction of things that matter to us, our security, our kids safety. And two, we should talk about it because there's nothing the Chinese like worse than the information getting out there to their own people, too. To their own people, I don't know if you saw the details. There was a Twitter employee who had been born and raised in China, and he raised an objection uh, as they were silencing voices and censoring. He said, "I this is not this is stuff that I, I didn't even see in China." He said, "Again, I, I don't know who, who he was or his background, but that's I think people are looking up and saying, 'Hum, uh, let's talk about this kind of stuff because.'" We don't want it to happen here. That's true. But we want the Chinese to be hearing about it. We want the people to hear about it And the presence of the Internet and other things, other ways it can get in. uh, I think it's uh, a problem for them. So that's what you need to know. China, China, the communist regime on the run, on the run. It's good news for America and the world. We'll talk more about it. All right. I got to run that myself. We got a lot to talk about. I'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, time to catch up with a new guest on the program, uh, Thomas J. Pyle. He's the president of the American Energy Alliance, AEI. And if you go to AmericanEnergyAlliance.org, you'll see uh, his stuff there. And I, I got an email. I, I got it forwarded to me, a great piece. I thought it was helpful to, to list people like lists in this world, although I think they like 10 at a time. But here's a, a <laughs> list from the AEI, American Energy Alliance, 125 ways the Biden administration and congress have made it harder to produce oil and gas so first of all welcome uh, mr Pyle. how are you sir
2: i'm doing great ed thanks for having me on the show
1: Well, you're welcome. And uh, the reason I like this is a lot of times I end up talking. I've talked to a bunch of people. uh, We get into a debate on CO2 and you're talking about this or that. And we could probably talk for a month on whatever they did over in uh, in this uh, climate agreement where it looks like we agreed to a slush fund that we'll pay into. China agreed to a slush fund that they won't pay into. But we leave that aside. I want to focus on this list when you when we people say um, the Biden administration and Congress made it harder concretely it's easy to say they drilled less places but what is it congo that that's like simple what walk me through i know there's 125 that's a lot but what what is it that what's the mindset and then how does the mindset end up in the details
2: yeah well and counting by the way we started this list last fall and it's grown from you know nearly 100 to now 125 which just shows you that they have a a a very sort of whole of government approach to demonizing and trying to get rid of the ability to produce oil and gas in this country um and it's it's sort of it's not a big surprise i mean uh, biden and all the rest of the candidates during the uh, campaign tried to outbid each other and how much they hated the oil industry right yeah. um and and what they did was i mean on day one alone there were four or five actions right uh You know, the obvious ones are canceled Keystone. They put a literally put a grinding halt on the uh, the drilling in the Arctic Wild Refuge uh, up in Alaska, which was passed by Congress. It was signed into law and passed by Congress. Right. That the administration was supposed to do this. And they said, nah, we changed our mind. Um, And so it just has been going on and on and on since the, the, the day he was sworn in. And Congress has been in on the game, too. But fortunately, now we have a check on the excesses of Congress. With um, theoretically, the Republicans taking the majority in the House, so
1: uh, we're talking with Thomas Pyle, and again, uh, his uh, his uh, website or his organization is uh, americanenergyalliance.org. dot org. So, is it so? But like, uh, um. You know, I've got uh, people that say, well, they stopped drilling on on uh, on public lands. Right. They stopped. uh, Oh, I know when one exchange where there was they stopped issuing permits and then the Biden administration said, no, we're willing to issue permits. And people that know permitting said it just takes too long. It's too slow. I mean, is the is there let me maybe say it this way, if that's the hundred and twenty five. Is there something that changes the dynamic? I mean, is Joe Manchin, can he change the dynamic? Can the Republican House plus the Joe Manchin change the dynamic? Because I think, I think everything comes down to oil and gas prices. Inflation is made so much worse. Uh, building costs so much worse. It just feels like that's the one thing we could do to change it. Do you have any hope?
2: Well, I do. I mean, look, you're right. I mean, Thanksgiving dinner is the most expensive it has been because – Uh, uh, the underlying increase in food cost is the sustained increase in the cost of, of of energy because you know diesel is how you dig up the ground and and it's how you pull up the crops and it's how you get it from a to b and all that good stuff right so um you know congress can first of all everything that the everything on this list that congress has done will likely come to an end right because The House Republicans aren't going to agree to all this massive spending. Um, They're not going to agree to methane taxes, for example, that this this last Congress passed, all that kind of stuff. So that's that's one first do no harm. The second thing is, 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 is hopefully they will put the Biden administration, you know, have some transparency here, right? Like force them to answer to the American people, what they're doing, why they're doing it, what the impacts are, right? So they can grind down the administration a little bit through, um, oversight investigations and through the budget process, right? They can sort of force some change in some behavior, but overall, I mean, the administration is still radically anti oil and gas, and they're going to do everything they can through regulation, um, and an executive order to continue this jihad that they have against these resources.
1: Uh, We're again, we're talking with uh, Thomas Pyle um, and he is the president of the American energy Alliance. Um, do you find over? Do you find it in again? You know, Rahm Emanuel's w- w- words echo in my ears. Never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, is uh, or never let a crisis go to waste. Is there allies that develop when the economy changes like this for you, or is it is it just too much, too many parties? Uh, too, you know, too much partisan camp at this point. I mean, you know, I, I, the example is a little too glib. But it used to be Democrats that were pro life. They're not allowed to be pro life, at least at the national level anymore, the federal level. Um, but but when you have this kind of crisis do you find that in states that are more likely to benefit or i mean and i guess i go here pennsylvania their economy would benefit instantly if there were changes in the policy so do you end up with some non-republican allies that grow your uh uh you know a possible leadership in this setting well i
2: think that you know if you look at you know the, the public is a is a non-traditional ally. I know this sounds a little bit weird but follow me on this. Yeah. When energy prices are low and gas prices are low and things are good, they're not paying attention to these issues. When they start to go sour like they have, then they start paying attention and then they start demanding accountability. So that's one thing too. If you look at the last election, the Republicans actually did well in terms of the popular vote did really well in terms of hispanics and i think that hispanics are not monolithic i think that they see these issues with an economic lens and quite quite Frankly, they're a little bit more conservative, so to speak, um, with some social issues. So I do think that uh, we're going to see a steady migration away from Democratic uh, support among the Hispanic community, not at large, but maybe pockets. So there's one there. And and by the way, all of these policies hurt the very people that the Democrats claim that they're trying to help the most, the poor, mm-hmm. fixed income seniors, because these groups of, of people have to pay First, for their energy, for their gasoline, uh, for their food and everything else. And so they could hit the hardest with these policies. And the more they recognize who's driving them, I think the more and more you're going to see the working class and the lower lower middle class uh, start to to migrate away from this this sort of Democrat absolutist anti-energy agenda.
1: Uh, Thomas piles our guest president of the American Energy Alliance um, Thomas I, I need you to solve a problem for me for years my wife has said this and now my kids say it I am driving my kids to school one day that we're behind an electric car and my son says dad where do they get the electricity from don't they have to get oil and gas to get the he didn't say oil and gas he said don't they have to get it from somewhere what's the reality of that I mean we're told so often that these electric cars are such a big deal but what, I mean where do you get the electricity right
2: Well, I mean, you plug in your, it depends on where you live, but if you plug it in, you get it from the the generation mix and we still produce about, you know, 20% of our energy from electricity, from coal. um, And we get at least 30 plus percent of it from natural gas. So yeah, you're basically driving around in a fossil fuel charged vehicle. You might feel good that you're not driving a a gasoline powered uh, vehicle, But you're not doing much in terms of changing the way that the the energy mix is. Quite frankly, they're not reliable they're they're catching on fire everywhere <laughs> there's all kinds of problems with like, these things you're
1: like my you're like my buddy Gregory Wrightstone he'll first make the argument he runs the co2 coalition to, and he re- makes the argument first he's like well this was and then he, he goes right to it he's like they blow up they melt uh, batteries are boiling on fire he's he's got he's got the uh, same energy you do all right Thomas last important question uh USC I th- I got down in my notes you're a USC graduate <laughs> so this is serious business I mean possible national championship it could get into the playoffs how are you feeling uh it's
2: been a long time coming uh i'll tell you it's been i'm a bills fan too uh oh, okay. for the nfl oh, yeah. so that's, that's i've cool. been in the wilderness for a very long time
1: <laughs> wow all right so uh notre dame versus usc what's, what's you gonna you gonna pull that one out
2: Fight on. Go Trojans. I think we're there. I think we got it.
1: <laughs> all right. Good. Fight on. That's the one I know. I, my, my wife grew up in Southern California, so a bunch of her uh, friends growing up are, are uh, Trojans. So, all right. Uh, thank you. Uh, we'll have you back on again. Uh, Thomas Pyle, again, his website is AmericanEnergyAlliance.org. There's a lot of there there. Also, this piece I'll put up on social media, the uh, a link to it, the 125 reasons that uh, uh, the uh, uh, Biden administration in Congress. You'll we'll probably have to have another one of these lists and see if you can get anything out of the new Congress. But that'll be a different problem for next year so thank you sir you bet all right we'll take a break everybody we'll be right back i'll put it all up on uh, social media it's ed martin here on the pro america report we'll be back in a moment Well, welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, My next guest is Daniel Greenfield, and he is the Shulman uh, Shulman Journalism Fellow over at the David Horowitz Freedom Center. David's been a frequent guest on this program, a great place and a great man. David Horowitz Freedom Center. uh, Daniel's an investigative journalist, and in particular has focused on the radical left and Islamic terrorism. But it was a recent piece, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Daniel, that... um, you wrote uh that uh, caught my eye and i reached out it, this it's this piece about uh the book publishing um you know we have a lot of uh, so the title is the ex-nazi corp behind anti-racism is buying up book publishing and we go into this but the power of publishing even though we all do lots of other stuff is still very very powerful walk us through what you're talking about here in this piece please you know, we often hear about particular
3: book titles. Um, we hear about personalities like Ibram X. Kennedy who pushed the whole anti-racism concept uh, to the point that it's become dominant, which is the idea that, you know, everything is either racist or anti-racist. Um, there's Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility. This has pushed white privilege very much into a dominant space. Uh Tanahisi Coates has uh, become a powerful co- Cultural figure, we don't really pay attention to where a lot of this is coming from. Um, we see different names on the book spines. But actually, the reality is this is coming from uh, Penguin Random House, which is the world's largest book publisher. And behind uh, Penguin Random House is a German company called Bertelsmann, which actually has gobbled up American publishing, international publishing to a massive degree. Pretty much just any uh, company you can think of, um, any traditional company, you know, Doubleday, Ballantine, Penguin, Crown, Viking, Putnam, Bantam, those are all different ways, Golden Books, is all different ways of saying Bertelsmann. You don't see Bertelsmann on the books that you buy, but they're the ones who actually control it. Uh, Their CEO, a guy named Marcus Dole, is actually the guy who's running Penguin Random House. And now they're trying to buy up Simon & Schuster, which would completely uh, take over American publishing comprehensively. Uh, they would dominate hard, the hardcover market by something like uh, 40 to 50%. They would effectively control book publishing in America. And they are aggressively pushing wokeness um, in a massive way. Now, one of the uh, things that we really don't know is that American publishing is largely doesn't exist anymore. Uh, they're subsidiaries of foreign companies uh, like Holt Uh, which is a German company, Hachette, which is a French company. So much of the swokenness is being pushed by foreign companies. There's basically is... Uh, Simon & Schuster is really the last major American publishing company. If um, Bertelsmann succeeds in buying it, there will effectively be no American publishing companies, and that means that these companies are pushing racial hatred, they're pushing wokeness, they're pushing sexual materials to schools, and they themselves suffer no consequences from it because our society is damaged, our families are damaged, it does not affect them.
1: Hmm. Daniel Greenfield is our guest, uh, speaking right there, he's a journalism fellow over at the Ho- David Horowitz uh, Freedom Center. If you go to frontpagemag.com all the writings are there uh, daniel um, the the um Is the answer to this uh, uh, to have more American publishers? I I mean, I hate to it's it's way too glib to make this comparison, but a lot of Americans thought didn't think and didn't know 20 years ago when everything started being made in China, that it was awfully cool to have this cheap stuff at Walmart. And now we realize we can't let our country be sort of gutted by the Chinese. And we've changed our mindset. Is there is that the answer? We need American publishers is the answer to know uh, what they're doing. I mean, I'm sure you're not someone who's saying let's tell publishers what they must publish. But obviously, when you write this piece, it makes me think, uh, why don't we have American publishers, right? Uh, certainly, when it comes to certain
3: vital industries, uh, it makes sense to have them controlled by the United States. Uh, whether it's uh, the, some of the big tech companies uh, should not be controlled by China or Russia, we see how much damage TikTok is doing, um, which, you know, under the Biden administration, China was allowed to retain control over it. Mm. Uh And when it comes to book publishing, uh, these are companies that effectively control our culture. And when they're actually following orders out of Europe, that is a huge problem. Uh, Same goes, you know, for a lot of Hollywood, we don't discuss it, but China effectively calls the shots on what movies can be made anymore. And a lot of the financing for this is coming from the Middle East. It's coming from countries that are absolutely not friendly to the United States. So one of the reasons, obviously, there's a lot of wokeness in Hollywood in and of itself. One of the reasons it has gotten worse is because it is really foreign money, foreign interests, actually are perfectly happy with wrecking the United States. And in this case, Bertelsmann is an ex-Nazi company. Uh, it does not it is not favorably dispose to the United States, and it seems to be perfectly happy to just push the worst, most toxic, most destructive messages uh, into the United States. And this is something that we need to check. And beyond that, we have a concentration of power in a handful of companies, whether it's with tech. We've seen this with Amazon and Facebook. And we have a concentration in publishing, which is very unhealthy. There should be a lot of competition, a lot of companies. In this way, there will actually be companies that will compete more for the conservative market instead of just there being two or three or four world companies that completely disregard conservatives.
1: Is the, uh, do I remember correctly? Is there one uh, what you would call an American- American uh, company left. If if Simon Schuster got swallowed up, uh, I, I, I was looking quickly trying to find it. Is, is there one? I think it's um, controlled by News Corp too, right? Is it? No. Uh, yeah. Uh, is so
3: it? HarperCollins is controlled by News Corp. You know, obviously the Murdoch's were originally Australian, but that's a complicated question anyway. HarperCollins would this really be the only American company left?
1: And and they're not that big, right? I mean, they're not. I mean, they're big enough, but they're not. The, they're not the top. They're a lot smaller. Yeah, yeah. So again, back to the. Um, is is this a is this a uh, something that the government should get involved in? Is this something that I mean? I, well, let me tell you on the conservative book publishing side. Of course, you have a small, you know, very small, but uh, comparatively to the big ones like Regnery and all. But uh, you know, the the uh, Al Regnery, one of the founders, I think, is son mm-hmm. of the founder of the Regnery. Started his own nonprofit uh, publishing uh, book company because he was trying to get conservative titles. I mean, it doesn't work very well because you can't get the reach, uh, but. Is that where we're headed, or do you think we need to have the government involved? What do, what do you think the next steps are?
3: So, I mean, the DOJ got involved, and in this case, they actually secured at least temporary victory. But yes i think the government should break up certain monopolies certain companies especially foreign ones that are effectively in control of our economy i'm not for a lot of government regulation a lot of government interference in business but you know the bottom line is we have a economic situation where a small handful of companies effectively control everything we've seen how bad this is with uh, the censorship of conservatives online and uh, it's equally bad in the book market Uh, right now you've had some of the last pro-Trump editors. Uh- conservative editors being forced out of the big companies uh, the ones who are actually willing to publish memoirs by um, some of trump's people were, that were not bashing him or that were not bashing republicans because it's just being consolidated when you just have two or three companies there's real that are all being concentrated in the same in New York in the same two three blocks of New york city literary row uh, there's absolutely no freedom there's no ability for people to express dissenting views and it's uh, the opposite of a free market we do not have a free market we have a market that is consolidated and controlled by just a handful of foreign companies uh that dictate to americans and you no, know, we need to change that
1: daniel greenfield is our guest does does um uh does amazon uh, uh perversely uh, uh help this because you can write a book and publish it on in a smaller shop and get access to the market does it do you think that contributes to uh helpful or or not so much
3: so yeah uh, there's certainly that option you can just uh, go out there you can uh, promote your own book you can self-publish it's something a lot of conservative authors are doing and amazon is helpful in that regard but again amazon dominates the book retail market to a massive extent and they are unfriendly to conservatives so a lot of the time you just write a book and it's fine and amazon doesn't notice you and then suddenly amazon notices you and you are completely cut off so it's basically the same problem
1: i see i see that's i see that okay well it's um so are you hopeful i mean. Do- DOJ, you must like the decision, but I heard you say temporarily, is there is there a way that the lawyers for uh, uh, Bertelsmann and, and, and uh, Simon & Schuster go back and restructure the thing and it gets through?
3: But certainly wants to keep fighting, it is optimistic because so many of these huge uh, monopolistic decisions in the past, the DOJ failed to block, beginning with the Clinton administration, which sold out to Google, allowing Google to basically take over online advertising. And the win record has not been good under the Trump administration. The DOJ tried to fight the good fight. They lost too many times. Uh, so this is actually uh, this does make me optimistic. I think it's one of the things that Democrats and Republicans are starting to both get around to the idea that these huge companies are crushing it. Uh, They're defining everything about us. And we have absolutely no power, and no control in the situation. And this is not just one area where actually uh, conservatives have come together and said that this is the right approach. We need to fight this. We need to push back
1: well I, I i think that uh, i appreciate the uh, optimism and i think um i think you're right i, I wonder what uh, if people be, uh, are appreciating the power of having uh these foreign entities controlling our uh our systems of of knowing so uh daniel greenfield uh, thank you for coming on and again oh he's over at frontpagemag.com i'll put up on social media and on my website the link to this piece and his other writings thank you sir My pleasure. Thank you. All right. We'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. And I will again, I'll put it all up on social media. uh, Links to that great David Horowitz Freedom Center. He's David Horowitz, amazing guy. So we'll take a break. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is
0: the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin.
1: Only four United States share a common border with Mexico. But the millions who crossed that border illegally since Joe Biden took office didn't stay in those states. Some of those unlawful migrants brought the lethal illegal drug fentanyl to unsuspecting customers across middle America. Fentanyl is 50 times more deadly than heroin, which used to be the most feared addictive drug. In much of the country, fentanyl has become the leading cause of premature death, outpacing accidents and homicide. A bust in Florida seized enough fentanyl to kill 2.7 million people, some of it hidden in a Cinnamon Toast Crunch cereal box. Days earlier, in York County, South Carolina, authorities announced their seizure of a cache of fentanyl, more than 30 kilograms, that was enough to kill every person in the entire county. Meanwhile, in Mesa, Arizona, a shop owner and employee are accused of selling thousands of fentanyl pills from a Mexican drug cartel for many months. You may be wondering, what could ever provoke someone to take a drug 50 times more deadly than heroin? Those with a more libertarian mindset might even be tempted to say that the fault rests purely on the drug user rather than the drug cartels. Sadly, many instances have been recorded where someone has taken fentanyl without their knowledge or consent. Drug dealers will substitute fentanyl for other drugs in hopes of getting users addicted to the dangerous substance. The Drug Enforcement Administration, DEA, has warned against brightly colored fentanyl pills called rainbow fentanyl, which look like candy and attract kids. It would be naive and cruel to insist that the cartels pushing these drugs should be absolved from all responsibility. Traditional drug awareness and education efforts are important, but fentanyl is a known political problem with a known political solution. Leftist soft on drug policies aren't going to fix it. We need to follow the example of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who said, if you're trafficking that garbage, that poison, you're killing people in our state, and we're going to treat you like the murderer that you are. Let's hope more Americans will get behind cracking down on fentanyl at home and securing our southern border.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. American citizenship should never be taken lightly. That's why you need to go to phyllisschlafly.com and be part of the dialogue on the need for border security and an accurate census, the travesty of sanctuary cities, and voting rights for illegals. Voice your opinion at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Hey, I- I've got i um, I've got an offer for you and I've got uh, I've got something that I want to do uh, very much in the next month or so. You know, as the holidays come around and by the holidays, I mean the great Christmas as well as, of course, uh, New Year's and all. But also uh, kids are home from school uh, schedules, a-, a shift a bit. Um, I-, I end up with a goal of trying to read more books, read more books. And so what I wanted to ask you to consider is send me your recommendations on books to read. Now, I, I do want your recommendation on books to read, but I also want um, you to send me, you know, n- not not the books you want me to read that are um, from, uh, you know, your childhood or something. I, oh, Well, r- those recommendations are fine, too, but especially new books, new books. A- and let me explain why. Over the past four or five years, as I've done this radio show and the podcast that we turn it into, I have become more and more convinced of the incredible power and the incredible um uh, persuasive nature of books. Now I knew that before because I love books, but I I came to know it in a different a new way. And here's here's why. A lot of publishers, the ones that I really like and respect, and I'm gonna go through a few of the names, um, they're being creative about the books they're publishing, right? They're publishing shorter books, longer books, different authors. They're uh using the ebook format and audio books a lot. And there's just an incredible number of authors. And when someone, and I encourage you, if you think you're an author, if you're saying I might have a book in me, when you go to write a book. It it sort of forces you to clarify what you think, and it's always, always helpful, in my opinion. Helpful for the writer, helpful for the reader. It doesn't make it easy, by the way. It doesn't make it easy at all. Writing is really hard, really, really hard for most people. I mean, some people say they're good writers and easy writers. I, I never really believe it. They may be ex, uh, experienced writers and therefore have a, a facility for it. They know what works for them and their voice, but still hard work. I remember the late Phyllis Schlafly, for whom I worked. And she wrote, I think the title, the total was over 32 books. Uh, her columns and essays she wrote for about 50 years every week. Every week she would write a column between 600 and 800 words, I think. And and when she would write them, I would see her working on them on Sunday night for present presentation to the editor and the publisher on Monday. And she would just talk about how hard it was to write in, in and get ready for going forward get you know looking forward and so i just want to encourage you and so here's a couple of the authors uh you, you've heard me talk to uh the guys at regnery regnery publishing which is a part of salem and there's a guy named tom spence who is the top guy over at uh regnery publishing and he's talked to me we had a long conversation uh i don't know six months ago about how powerful and how different the industry was for him And he'd been in the industry for decades, seeing what was really working, meaning what people wanted to read. And in particular, uh, he works with um, Regnery, which is uh, owned by Salem Media. He said the, the, uh, the titles that were about uh, uh, Christian, uh, not just apologetics, but politics were having a real interest. Anyway, wonderful guy, fascinating guy. Regnery's over there. Al Regnery, who's, I think, father or grandfather uh, founded Regnery, and Al ran it for a while. He started a nonprofit with another guy named Eric Campman. And, and those two guys call it. It's, it's, it's a nonprofit because they're being creative about how they can get the system to work they're not in it they're both at the uh sort of um latter part of long careers in the business and it's called republic book publishers and it's been fascinating um it's got a book it's got a book um Brandon Weikert on space is over there it's been he's been an, an eye opener for me it's all he's they also have uh, in their republic book publishing they have um the lieutenant governor of North Carolina has got his memoirs. Hey, extraordinary. Anthony, Anthony, Anthony Zaccardi over at Post Hill, publishing creative guys. Uh, HumanX, you know, HumanX has published a bunch, especially of uh, David Horowitz and then creative Tony Lyons. He's one of the guys that I've listened to a lot on my show. And he's at Skyhorse, of course, and on and on on. There's a bunch of there's a lot of them. There's uh, there's a, a, a one a publisher, Perucci, uh, Perucci Publishing, a fascinating book. So, and, and you go on uh, my friend Floyd Brown over at Liftable Media. He's published books out there. Um, you can make a list. And especially, of course, the famous ones. You've got um, Kimball, Roger Kimball at uh, Encounter. Adam Bello runs Bombardia, um, And, you know, you could go on and on and on. And, uh, Sophia Institute. I'm looking at my list. Sophia Institute Press has been extraordinary. Moody Press does some great books. But my point is, you send me, my present. My proposal to you is send me your recommendations. If you have a book, and, and and let me say this, one of the greatest things that's happened in the last 10 years is the ability for people to self-publish. Now, I tend to think you self-publish best when you have... Editors that join you in the process, right? And and so you're not just you writing it. You put it together. You put it on, you know, uh, I'm a self publisher. You got to have people that will critically look at it. But it doesn't mean it has to be people in the industry that dominate the industry, you know, and or did in the past. It's shifting, and it's been great. So if you have a book recommendation, you know, someone that has a book, send them to me. Send the book titles to me. Send a copy if you've got a copy, or you know, if you can. And I will. I'm going to try to read a lot of books. And in the beginning of the new year, I'm going to lay out a plan. For the first maybe six months of making sure that we are interviewing great authors, and by great authors I mean authors who worked hard to publish their books. They may be great books, I'll see, but it's it's very, very important and very American and very special for us. Uh, I re- was reminded uh, Ronald Kessler, who's a, a prolific author, um, has been on the show and has been talking about how uh, big media is dominated by a certain number of booksellers and that that is what it is, but sometimes they're not telling the truth. Uh, and I think we have more and more. If we're going to doubt the fake news, what the big media has done with fake news on cable TV, on, uh, on, on network TV, you, you got to look closer at uh, the publishing and big media and what they've been telling us for a long time. Um, you know, Robert Kennedy Jr. in his books on Fauci and COVID has done more to lay wide open the corruption of science and scientific publishing, both. So there's a lot there. So send me your books. Send me your books. It's my project for the next four or five weeks as we head into a new year and uh, as we're in a new year. So uh, do that. Okay. All right. We got to run. Well, thank you, as always, to Noah Dingley, uh, Ryan Height, our associate producer, who's been filling in some, too. And uh, thank you. And uh, please reach out and send me your titles. Uh, Ed at com. I've told you before and also through our website. Have a great day. We'll be back. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report.